It's good to see you everybody here this evening. And uh, I'll get situated here. I did everything last week but fall off this stool, so I'm, I'm going to be more careful. Now, you have a handout, and I'll cover it in a little bit, but if you did not get one of these, uh, uh, Brother Roger, you have you have a few left, Roger? Yeah. yeah. So you might have one. You'll want this uh, handout. You'll want to have this. And I've got to have my timekeeping piece because uh, I asked you last week to um, pray uh, for me. I had some medical stuff done today. I knew I was going to have to have that. And but, I, but what I asked you to pray for was my wife's sister, Evelyn, here is with us tonight. And uh, don't believe her, she's not 19. She just, she just thinks she's 19. But um, I asked you to pray because if you've ever lived with a redhead, you know it's challenging. And then I've had two to live with now, and she'll be here for two weeks. She arrived yesterday, and I appreciate your prayers that you prayed, but some of you aren't praying hard enough. (laughs) Because she arrived yesterday afternoon. I was in the hospital for an hour and a half, flat on my back this afternoon. And I'm just hoping that things will get better once it levels out. So... She's she's a, uh, a, a Arkansas girl, but she claims to be a Texan, and uh, she lives in Texas in the Houston area for the past sixty years or so. I gotta say, okay. I don't know where I don't know where better put that. How long? Seventy-two years. Well, how could she do that and be 19? I don't understand it. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, I'm going to ask you to turn with us to, to not Philippians, to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2, and this will begin now the second division of the book. If you remember the outline given to us in the Word of God in chapter 1, verse 19, the things which are... Uh, that was the, uh, excuse me, the things that was, that's the uh, chapter 1, and now the things that are, chapter 2 and 3. Uh, These two chapters record the seven letters to the seven churches. Now, uh, I want to say this before we begin, because it's important for you to know that the letters... um, each one addressed to a specific local independent church, just like this church. Thank you. What is that? Fiji. Natural artesian water. Oh, but he must think it's going to get awful dry in here tonight. I, I might need that in a little bit. But but there's three things. There's three, uh, really three meanings uh, for these letters, and you need to know that first of all, 
these letters are uh, primary, have a primary association, and that is that it has a direct, le- uh, a direct message to each of these local churches, to the seven churches. And um, the letters are like a measuring rod. Uh, they help the church to see what their position is uh, as far as how God sees their position, not how they see it, or maybe how somebody else would see it, but how God sees them. And so it's important. And this is for all seven churches, all right? And also, it is a pers- has a personal application in the sense that uh, each church has a personal uh, Address, for instance, you'll find here uh, words like, uh, you know, he that hath an ear, let him hear. He, that's a personal pronoun, right? That's an individual, that's a person. And so these these letters have a personal uh, meaning. These letters will give the characteristics of the churches, but also of Christians, I believe uh, in these letters you'll find yourself from time to time uh, as these people are addressed, as these churches are addressed, you'll see yourself identifying uh, with that particular situation. And then each of the uh, letters to the seven churches and, and to each church and then collectively to the unit of the church has a uh, prophetic uh, anticipation or a prophetic message, uh, and we're and that has to do with the handout that I gave you here, and we'll cover that. Uh, in fact, I'll just get you to look at it right now because I've done some uh, hand, hand scratching on here. Uh, I don't remember when, but I I, I updated it by adding uh, the verses to the Matthew chapter 13 uh, reference. If you notice that this is a parallel between the uh, parables found in Matthew 13 and these seven churches. It's, uh, it's very unique. I, I picked this up, as you see the note on the bottom from Dwight Pentecost on his book on things to come uh, probably 35, 40, 50 years ago. I don't know, been a long time ago. And um, I thought I'd like to add it because uh, as we teach through this, this will give you like an index each week. For instance, uh, if you look at the first one, the first church uh, is, of course, to the church of Laodicea. Excuse me, the church at Ephesus. That's the last church. Uh, to, to the church at Ephesus. And it has a connection to the sower there in Matthew and the parable of the sower in verses 3 through 9, and you can use that as a personal study each week to kind of look at it. And as we teach on each of the seven churches, you'll be able to follow down, and we're not going to take a uh, long time introducing this or explaining this to you because I want you to bring it, I want you to be familiar with it, and use it as your kind of like an outline or a guidance to these two chapters. And I believe it will help you if you do that. I wrote in, if you cannot understand it, I'll tell you what that is. That is the loveless church. The loveless church. Uh, Ephesus. The word Ephesus means desired. Uh, 
And so that gives you the meaning. You notice the heading, the meaning of the name. Ephesus means desired. And then the approximate date of prophecy in which this church covers would be from the time of Christ until 160 A.D. Now, let me just pause here a moment because you'll find a lot of uh, prophecy books and so forth that will date uh, the beginning uh, at the Pentecost. They have the misconception that the church began at Pentecost. But we know if you study your scriptures, uh, you know in the Gospels, Christ said he placed first in the church the apostles. I mean, uh, he did that. Okay? Christ placed first in the church the apostles. So the church began with the ministry of Christ and his apostles. That's, that's enough right there for me to rule it out. However, there are other proofs. Uh, and uh, you find in Matthew 18, the discipline given to the church there. Uh, that's before Pentecost. And, and of all things, you find in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. You find it in each of the Gospels, but in Matthew 28, you find the Great Commission. And that's given to the church by Christ. That again is before Pentecost. And then on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in the upper room. That's, that was a representation of the local church. And so it did not begin with Pentecost. It began with Christ and his ministry. Uh, that began the, uh, that's the first of the church. And uh, then at the, back, at the end it says the characteristic, and of course it's a time of sowing, that's the parable teaches you that. And a time of organization and evangelism. And so let's begin now by looking in your Bibles to chapter 2 and verse number 1. And we'll begin to look at the church at Ephesus. I mentioned last week that I'd hoped to cover uh, a chapter. Well, that's not going to be possible. And uh, I have to renege on that I promise because it's we're more likely to spend a week in each church, and then we'll be having to omit a lot of things that we could cover. But I do want to give you a good understanding. It's important for you to know about these churches. Now, I'll tell you, it's kind of personal, too, because this is the period of the prophecy of the book of Revelation, which are the things which are. And that's you and I. We're still in this time element. Now, it's, it's certainly past 160 A.D. I know that. You know that. But what I'm saying is the age of the churches, it will not end until the rapture. That hasn't taken place yet. And it's in the period that we live in. So, selfishly, we should be interested in this uh, section of chapters 2 and 3 because uh, we'll, we're living in this period of time today. And uh, it's good for you to know that and understand it. But now he says here, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. We've already mentioned about these stars and I identified them in my view. These are the pastors. 
and and how important it is uh, to be in that position. That's a God-called position, pastor. There's only one in the church. More than one makes it a monster. Right? Because anything that has more than one head is a monster. And, and Christ is the head of the church. I know that. He's the shepherd. But here's the under-shepherd. The one God has here for us. You say, well, uh, preachers don't always do what's right. Well, God takes care of his preachers. Yeah. They're in his right hand. Uh, you can trust God, believe me, and he knows what he's doing. Amen. And uh, sometimes churches will get a, a preacher uh, is uh, kind of like a chastisement. <laughs> you know? Uh, there's some churches back east, not so much out here, but in Arkansas, where some of you are from, they change preachers about every three three years. That's about the average tour. And they just go from this one or this one, this one. This one was here this year, and two years he'll be over here, and another one over here. And uh, that's not intended in the scriptures. That's what men get their hands in. And we're going to cover a little bit of that today, too, uh, in the lesson. But Ephesus is a, a very strong city. It's in the uh, apostolic age. That means at the very beginning. It begins with Christ and ends at 160 A.D. John, who God used to write this, record it. It's Christ's revelation, but he used John to record it. And John was one of the apostles. We identified him as the Apostle John. There are several Johns in the scriptures, but this one is John the Apostle. We believe he is the only apostle living at this time. The rest of them have already passed off the scene. And uh, so he is... A, a very elderly man. He's probably in his 90s. And uh, this time of dating of this apostle is about 96 A.D. And so, uh, 96 A.D., and he, he was released and then wrote this and lived a few other years. So he lived to be, I'm, I'm certain, over 100 years old. But he was the last of the apostles. It's a strong church of the first century. Uh, about this city of Ephesus, the temple Diana. Now, we don't hear much about that today, but believe me, in this day, that was the chief heathen practice in the world was the Diana, the, the big uh, uh, image of Diana. The temple was here in, uh, in Ephesus, and it was a very... Uh, a strong religion. This is the one we read about uh, in the book of Acts, uh, and when Paul's in this city and he's taken into the theater to, to address. And remember the the controversy between the silversmith, the the idol work, uh, makers of Diana, and and at this time Christianity was spreading very rapidly, very rapidly. But Diana is in this city, and it's a very powerful place. Uh, the, um, the, we do not know uh, the actual beginning of this church at Ephesus. Uh, Paul did not start this church. Paul spent some time. In fact, he spent three years here, but he did not start it. 
when he comes on the scene, it just simply says, and when he went there, there was a gathering there. There was a church already there. And he ministered, pastored uh, in that area and had a, a tremendous ministry. In fact, the matter is, Paul's ministry in Ephesus was the highlight of his ministry. Uh, he spent three years here, longer than he ever spent in any other uh, city. But, and the work was so successful, it was phenomenal the, the way God blessed here. Uh, he was performing miracles. Uh, and the reason being, uh, it was to authenticate his message. Uh, we today know when our pastor is teaching the Word of God because we have the Word of God. But now these saints here did not have the scriptures as we have them. And so they had writings and they had the, some Old Testament scriptures, but they had the, the men of God that God raised up and moved as Paul was the missionary in this area and he would teach and preach the Word of God. Well, how were they sure that he was faithful and true? Well, he could do miracles. He could do things that normal people could not do. And they were to prove the fact that he had the truth, that he was a man of God. And so uh, he stayed here, as I said, some three years. And by the way, to get a a background, uh, you ought to read Acts chapter 19. Uh, Acts chapter 19 gives you the background of this city. And in verse 10 it says, And and, uh, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Uh, This was a very successful church, a very powerful church. And again, uh, the name of the church uh, signifies that it was uh, going to be a great church. It means desired Desired is a desirable church. It'd be a good church to belong to. But it doesn't end in verse 1. Let's go on. And uh, uh, we find here, back by the way, in Ephesians, if you go there in Ephesians chapter 1, you'll find in verses 22-23 where uh, Christ is mentioned to be the head of the church. As I said, that's a, a teaching of the scriptures. Every local church has the same head. If it's a biblical church, and the head of the church is Christ, and 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 then I said, as he I said, he's the he's the shepherd, and then he has his under shepherd, but uh, uh, he is the head shepherd. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, the stars are his. Are in his, uh, or the, rather the light of the, uh, or bearing the light. The stars, the pastors, are, are those who were to bear the light. They weren't the light. Christ is the light. But they, they were to bear the light. And by the way, a, a church, the church's light will never be any greater than the pastor. The pastor is the leader of the church. Um, there's an old saying, I don't know who was the original person to originate it, but I've heard it for many, many years, and, and years ago it was attributed to the, uh, Lee Robertson, who was a pastor uh, of a great Baptist church in Chattanooga, 
uh, Tennessee. The church ran about 5,000. It was the home of Tennessee Temple University. Uh, they started in their, under his ministry, and, and they had a great long ministry there. And they had said that he made this statement, and uh, he was given credit for it. But I don't know for sure if he did or if he quoted somebody else. But, but uh, it always says that everything rises or falls on leadership. Everything rises or falls on leadership. That's why we need to pray for a pastor. I mean, such a responsibility that a pastor has. And, and uh, it, clearly the Bible teaches us to pray for the pastor. And he's shining the light. The assembly need not be large. Uh, in fact, it can be uh, just two or three gathered together. It doesn't have to be a large. We started a mission church in uh, Virginia, and uh, uh, we were blessed. We had more than two or three. I think we had like 32 our first service. But we had done some prep work, and uh, we prayed about going to the city. I uh, got a hold of a local pastor. Uh, my pastor in Ohio wanted to be a descending church, but hey, I, I believe in a local te- church. And, and I, I'm strong on the local church. So I went to a good independent Baptist local pastor, uh, Dr. John Bonds, pastor of the Bethlehem Baptist Church. The church at that time was running a little over 1,000. Very successful ministry. And, and he was a close, he was the next county. He was in Fairfax County. We were in Loudoun County in Virginia. And so I went to him and and uh, ask if it be he'd be willing to have his church to open us as a mission. By the way, that's you know the reason I did that. I, I don't have the right or power or or position to start a church. Churches are not started by men; they're started by churches. Amen. A church gives birth to a church, and they have become a mission. We were a mission for a little over a year. And then that pastor, when he sent us out, he was our pastor. I wasn't a pastor. I was designated as a mission director for uh, Loudoun County and Leesburg, where we started the church. I'm just giving you this a little background so you understand how a church, a scriptural church, is supposed to be. Uh, You just don't go out and start preaching and say, well, we're going to start baptizing and make a church. You don't do that. We had the authority of our church to start. When we became of size of where I felt that we could be independent on our own, I approached him and his church voted us the right to organize as a church. We organized as a church, had a service. He spoke, uh, Dr. Bonds did. My home pastor in Ohio came and spoke and, and uh, had a great meeting uh, to organize a church. We had 85 charter members of that church in our first year anniversary. We had 212. But it was like this church here. I was there 13 years, and we saw hundreds of people saved and baptized in that church, had a Christian school, had some great ministries, a good bus ministry, uh, and had a lot of wonderful people working in that church. But it started by God laying a, a burden on our heart, my wife and I and our family, we moved there, didn't know a soul. Wasn't from there, never lived there, never lived in Virginia. Or, or I, I think I went through there when I was a kid, but that's about it. And uh, But that's how it started. That's how a church starts. Then a, a church gave birth to our church. 
and then we organized and became a church. And uh, God blessed the church. Other churches prayed for it and had a part in, in encouraging and so forth. And uh, we, we just enjoyed our ministry there. Uh, the church is still going today. It's, uh, it, uh, in uh, 74 we started, so next year will be 50 years, uh, the 50th anniversary. I've been back a number of times on anniversaries. The last time I was asked a year or two ago, I had to decline because of my health, but uh, I, I would love to be there for a 50th anniversary, but uh, that's up to that church. I'm no longer the pastor. I'm no more than you are to that church. Uh, but uh, that's the history, and that's how a church begins. That's how just this church started, and it had a great uh, ministry, had a much greater ministry than you could even imagine. Uh, thousands, uh, thousands of people. Now listen, you don't appreciate that till you just put your thinking cap on and you think a minute. They didn't have television. They didn't have a printing press. They didn't have radio. I mean, these people didn't have a whole lot of things that we use today to build a church. We started that church. I learned how to run a press because we couldn't afford to have printing done. I learned how to run a press. Bethlehem had a press. <laughs> and that's our mother church. I didn't feel a bit bad. I said, hey, can I use that to do this? And they said, well, sure. In fact, they bought the paper and the ink the first year, we put out about 80,000 pieces of literature. Now, that's a, a country. That was out in the country. That town only had 7,000 people when we went there. It has over 100,000 today. But, but at that time, it was a very small city. But we didn't do the city. We did the county. We did the, uh, the, the area as well. And that's what this church did. Uh, there, the, all of Asia had a witness from this church, from these people. Uh, they were very, very successful uh, in their ministry here. He, uh, he identifies himself here. He that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, to each of the churches... Uh, Christ is going to identify himself in a specific way. And it's important to see that, how he identifies himself. Uh, It's a reinforcement of the teachings that, of course, we have in the scriptures. He wants you to know without a, a doubt that the pastor is in his right hand. I mean, I wouldn't mess around with God's right hand. I mean, you, you could disagree with the preacher all you want, but you better take it to the Lord and, and get it right, and, you know, and let God work it out for you. Uh, but uh, but you, he's in the right, and he is the one who's walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Those are the churches. His physical presence is in the church. Every time this church meets, he's here. We ought to realize that. Now, he goes on and says this. Uh, uh, um, I've got to skip down some here. He, he says here that the uh, Christ, of course, is the head of the church. And he's, he's in, in that, uh, you know, the assembly need not be large. I, I mentioned that. But, you know, 
men may desire and, and brag about the architectural structure of a church. I've been to churches, and I pastored there in um, Florida. They had a large, large church, Baptist church. It wasn't independent, it was Southern Baptist church. It's a church at um, Dundee that Coach went to. And, I mean, it had, had a big membership, thousands and thousands of people. They built a new building, and I, I mentioned that to say this. And uh, so they gave tours of their facility. They bought 200 acres on the north part of Tampa. In fact, it's just about next door to where that gentleman that raises money the uh, two to, to, for the towers or something like that, they're going to build a village out there. Somebody gave them some land, and they're, they're building They're just next door to where this church is, across the highway, but next door. Two, uh, 200 and some acres of ground, and their first building what they called the um, stage one. At stage one cost $51 million. We went through that church, and they had all kinds of ministries. I mean, if you wanted to throw horseshoes, they had a horseshoe pitching ministry, and they had everything, okay? But, what they didn't have, they didn't have revival. They had a lot, they're kind of like the church of Laodicea that we'll be studying later. They thought they were rich, but they're really poor. This was a large church here, but it doesn't have to be a large church. For some churches, this is a big church. I don't know what it is now, but when I pastored, the average church in America was about 80 people. And uh, they're not all big churches. So he, he's, he's telling us here about this church, and, and it's a great church, prosperous church. But he wasn't concerned about their facilities because at this time churches didn't even have church houses. How do you like that? Have a church, not a church house. That's how we started our church. We started in a bank. I said, why'd you start in a bank? Well, that's not a hard question. That's where the money's at. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to get after the money, you better go where it's at, right? No, we started in a bank because they had a community community room. It was a new bank, a very fast-growing area, a new bank. They were, they were like us. They were trying to get their foot in the door. And Loudoun County is a very aristocratic... I mean, you well, you see on the news what kind of place that is. It's, it's on the news about every week or two. But anyhow, they... Uh, it doesn't have to be a big church. It doesn't have to have a big building. God will bless it. And God bless this. And God wasn't worried about the architecture. He was worried about those living stones. Just like this church. Every precious soul is precious. Now, he gives them an approval in verses 2 and 3. And i got to move on. 
because I know this watch is not stopping for me or anyone else. In verses 2 and 3, I know thy works and, and uh, thy uh, labor and thy patience and, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast uh, tried them which say uh, they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience for and for many uh, for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Here's here's the the bright spots. Is there's something else uh, that I want you to see in verse number six? But this thou hast thou uh, that thou. Has uh, thou, thou hatest, excuse me, the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there's really about six things here that he approves of this church about. And uh, these were commendable things. This was a working church. You read the book of Acts, and you find out that this kind of a church in the uh, apostolic age, they went door to door preaching the gospel. Uh, they were very evangelistic. That's why they had turned the world upside down. I mean, uh, people, the, the, the uh, Diana and all the other heathen temples were going broke because they couldn't get anybody to pay them any attention. When a person becomes saved, they get away from that stuff. And, uh, and uh, they just, it had shaken the whole community. And they were a hard-working church. They had labors of love. This labor means that it was a very fervent type labor. I mean, uh, like a um, uh, to to a point of exhaustion. These people were very uh, very diligent in their work for the Lord. I, I kind of like to think, uh, like one book I read uh, said that they were like a beehive, like a busy bees. You look at a beehive and see the activity. That's the way this church was. They were not just staying in the church house. They were going out and taking the message door to door. And, and he said they had patience. Uh, they were not faint-hearted. They were firm and absolute in their way. Uh, they exposed uh, the, the fierce... Uh, it would, uh, they were uh, persecuted and and had uh, severe persecution. It was during this time that we read about, read about Paul having his head cut off and, and John the Baptist having his head cut off. Uh, all these things happened. This was not a very easy time to live. They had a lot of persecution, much more severe than we have, though I believe our persecution is going to get a lot hotter, a lot quicker than we want. It was a working church. Uh, pushing forward, uh, at the same time exposed to this fierce persecution. Uh, he said, Thou couldst not bear them which are evil. Christ approved them for their suppression of evil. You know, you have to take a stand. If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything. And... Uh, Sometimes, you know, we, we wonder, well, why can't we be a little bit more uh, uh, accepting 
and, and over, overlook some of these minor things. They're not minor. Uh, listen to what happened to this church now. This was a great church. This had a great pastor. This had a great history. Uh, uh, Paul spent three years here. But it's not over yet. He approved them for their uh, uh, spiritual discernment. Uh, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. They knew what the churches, churches believed and they stuck to it. They had some standards. They had convictions. These were, these were noteworthy things that Christ mentions here. And uh, he, he says he approved them for their stand against the Nicolaitans. Now you'll hear about them again later, but some of you may not have any idea what a Nicolaitan was. And, and to be honest with you, nobody really does uh, to a great degree because uh, we're not sure just what their uh, heresy was, but it was a heresy, make no doubt. And we don't know what some of their practices were, but uh, we know they were not good. They were condemned by this church this church hated them. That's a strong word. And the, and the Lord hated them. Uh, think about that. He hated them. And uh, the Nicolaitans, the, 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 the name comes from two words. Nico, and that's N-I-K-A-O, which means to conquer. And the other word is laos, L-A-O-S, which is the people, the conquer the people. And uh, my way of thinking and my conclusion on this as to who these Nicolaitans were, they were the originators and the promoters of uh, dividing the church into clergy and laity. And you say, well, he's in God's right hand. There is kind of a difference there, you know. Well, there is and there isn't. You see, though he's in God's right hand, he's a sinner saved by grace just like you and I. And he's forgiveness just like you and I. He needs the Spirit's help just like you and I to go by each day along the way. But uh, here... Uh, they, these people were ruling over. You begin to, at this period of time, very early in church history, begin to hear about a, uh, something that's very common. It was a bishop. A bishop and the pastor is the same person in the scriptures. There's no difference. But it's become different. If you were a Methodist or have a Methodist background... You know, a bishop was one terrible guy. I mean, he had power. He could take your preacher away from you and stick him over here and take that one and stick it over here, and you could say nothing about it as a church. That's not found in the Bible. That's the the teaching of the Methodists. They practice that method. Uh, My goodness, we don't dare get into the Roman Catholic or we could be here for a month. Uh, all their hierarchies and ho, 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 and 
Let me tell you right now, in history, you'll not find the first, what we would call general, uh, accepted, proven fact of a person being a pope until 600 years after Christ. Peter was not the pope. A lot of mistakes, you know. Think about it, just common sense. If if uh, if Rome was such a hierarchy as the Catholics say, what's Ephesus? Rome didn't hold a candle to Ephesus for their Christian testimony and their effectiveness. And and the and, and listen, it was the Apostle Paul. That was the apostle to the Gentiles. It's his ministry here. Though some believe maybe that First and Second Peter was written from the, in, in this uh, from his church at the time, from the leadership era. But there's no documentation, no record that Peter ever went to Rome. None. That's a bunch of hooey. And, and that's where it started, back with these Nicolaitans. There's the hierarchy, there's the rulers, and there's the slaves, the church. And uh, it helps you understand a little bit about how church history developed if you get this first lesson. He has an appeal to him, and I'm going to skip some stuff here to get down to this because of my time. Because I want you to see this. He has an appeal uh, to these uh, folks. Pick it up in verse, well, let's pick it up in verse 4 and then 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Think about that. Left their first love. You say, that's pretty bad, but I mean, is that really that bad? That is really bad. Why am I saying that? A person loses their love, grows cold. Three times he asked Peter, do you you love me, Peter? Love (laughs) carries a lot of weight with the Lord. A lot of weight. A Christian that doesn't have love in his heart is not much of a Christian, I'll tell you that. Love is a very precious thing. This church had begun to let that love cool. What happens, of course, when the love cools? The first thing is that a person grows cold. And then the next thing, of course, he begins to uh, make friends with the world. Because now he doesn't, they're not so bad. They have some good points. I mean, after all, look how much money he makes. Look at his nice house and that. He must be doing something right. That's where they begin to think. Take their minds off of spiritual things and they mix it with the world. That's what happens when you lose that love. It, it sounds very simple, but it's a very dangerous thing. 
and they, and they, and they grow cold. You need to ask yourself, what, what about your love? Think about when you were first saved. I was saved as a young man, just nine years old. But I can remember it just like it was yesterday. You say, well, you've always done, you always lived with a loving spirit and in a right manner? No. No, I haven't. I'm sorry that I haven't. I wish I could say I did. Too many times I let my love get cold and got back slidden. That's what happens. You, you get just a little bit. You start missing the first service and then the next service, and then pretty soon you're out of church. Oh, how many times pastors see that across our country? How many times it breaks your heart? So he has an appeal to this church. He has They have all these good qualities. The only thing they did was they, their, their love began to grow cold because thou hast left thy first love. When the Holy Spirit led in your life and you were sensitive to the Spirit, you were controlled, you walked in the Spirit. You know what it is to be filled with the Spirit? To obey the Spirit. It's no mumbo-jumbo and all, all this stuff that you hear talked about today, being filled with the Spirit. We're commanded by the Scriptures to be filled with the Spirit. We're told not to grieve the Spirit because we can. So don't do it. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the way these Christians were at the beginning, but then they grew cold. So he gives them a... A, uh, a reminder in verse 5 it says remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent now, now things you need to notice here remember that's a tough thing to do. You know, one of the most horrible things about hell, people will have their memory in hell. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible tells us about the rich man died, and in hell, he remembered Abraham, he remembered Lazarus, he remembered he had brothers, he remembered how he lived and how he didn't want his brothers to live. Memory in hell will be very torturing to people who go there. Every time you heard the gospel preach, every pleading you heard of a pastor or a speaker asking you to come and give your all to Christ and accept Christ as your Savior, won't be an opportunity, but you'll have that terrible memory. So God, he tells them here to remember Remember how it used to be when you first got saved? Remember when you walked in the Spirit and you, 
you had the love of the Lord in your heart and you had love for everybody, remember that, he says. And then repent. The second thing, first to remember, but then repent. To turn around, to turn about, change your direction. The prodigal son came to that point in the pig pen. The good news is you don't have to go to the pig pen. Amen. <laughs> you can repent before then. Praise God he did. He came to himself. He looked at himself and said, Hey, man, I had a great life before this. Remember. Remember how it used to be. And then repent. Repent. No Christian needs... You say, wait a minute. Christians need to repent? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I want to show you a scripture. I had to skip a lot of the scriptures I want to take you to, but I don't want to skip this one. In Colossians, in the book of Colossians, we find this scripture. And uh, let's see here. Colossians 2. I'm in 4. Colossians 2 and verse number 6. These pages are sticking together tonight. Colossians 2. Verse 6. That's why I have to get a Bible every four or five years. See what I did? I tore my Bible just right then. Verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. After you get saved, doesn't mean that you'll never have a problem. You'll never have a trial or a temptation or a weak time. But God says you need to repent. As you were saved, now you need to walk in his steps. Receiving Christ in his uh, life in you. Genuine repentance and a return to his first love. That's the only hope for this church. For them to remember what it was like. Look, See what you're doing now. Look at what it was like and then Repent. The Lord said, remember and repent. Now notice, or else. Or else. Or else what? Or else I'm going to come unto you and I'm going to quickly take away that lampstand, that candlestick. You know, today, it's sad to say, but Today, there's no record of this church. The town of Ephesus is gone. This was the chief city for Rome and Asia Minor at the time. The very chief city. And now it's not even there. It's gone. They've done some archaeological digs, and it's good to read about that. I like biblical archaeology. But uh, he told 
there's this church is gone today. It's, it's no, it's not, it doesn't appear. Actually, we read in First Corinthians, I think it's chapter nine, where Paul himself feared of becoming a castaway. Now I said that to say this: all these letters have a personal application. And you may be here tonight and you say, well, that's fine and good. I'm not going to do that. I've never done that. I'm not not tempted with that. Paul feared it. He never did. He never did uh, turn his back on the Lord. In fact, he marched up and had his head cut off from his body. Decapitated. For the cause of Christ. Never, never did recant his beliefs. You don't have to. I pray you never will. But don't think for a moment you not better be on guard. And don't think for a moment you should not, as Christ says, always remember. Is it doing better now? Or is it doing worse? The Christian life is one that draws you closer. And the Bible says if you'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. So don't say God didn't enable you or call you. No. God's will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And God's will is that every one of his children would be obedient And as you accepted him as your Savior, he wants you to walk in his steps. I'll close with this. I've got three minutes. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a familiar verse, or a couple of verses really. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look beginning in verse number 19. The first word in verse 19 is what? This is a what they call a rhetorical question. To get you thinking. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? What? Don't you know that? Look at verse 20. For ye are, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's good teaching from God's word. Think about it. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. You were in the slave market of sin. Satan was your master. Jesus, with his blood, purchased your salvation. Now you belong to him. When we're saved, the Spirit of God does a wonderful work. And one of the things he does is that he indwells us. 
He lives within us. I've said before and I say again, the person that tells me that they cannot live a Christian life, I don't believe you. Nor do I believe the person who tells me they cannot be saved. God doesn't want you to be lost. Christ died for all. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to do anything to get saved. In fact, you can't do anything to get saved except accept the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ. I've always illustrated it this way, and this will get me on my feet. To get saved, all a person has to do is this. We sing it all the time. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Now listen. Christian, all you have to do to be victorious in your Christian life You can't surrender? Sure you can. Surrender not to the world. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Surrender to His leading and His enabling. He can empower you. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now without Him I can do nothing. But with Him I have no limit.